everybody and welcome back to the podcast. This is episode 28 and today I am here with Alexandra or Zandi as I like to call her. Uh, she is an undergraduate at Johns Hopkins and we're going to chat a bit about figure skating, disability advocacy, tennis, you know, Hopkins, a ton of uh, really great topics. And so I'm going to let Zandi uh, introduce herself and, and we'll get on from there. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Zandi Wong. My pronouns are she, her, hers. Um, I'm currently a first year undergraduate student at Johns Hopkins University up here in Baltimore, Maryland, and I study neuroscience and I involved with research at the Hopkins School of Medicine. I serve as a tour guide. I'm a brother within the Alpha Phi Omega service fraternity, and I do a little bit of disability advocacy projects on the side. So yeah, I'm really excited to come on the podcast today. Yeah, I'm so glad that you're here. And so just in that introductory sentence, you see how much uh, we have to talk about in today's episode, because there's so many really great things that Sandy does that I definitely want to highlight. And so the first thing that I heard that comes to my mind is research, right? And so why don't we have uh, a little bit into that and talk about research, especially with uh, in conjunction with the medical school. And so I know that, you know, a lot of schools offer, if they have a medical school on campus, offer their undergrads the ability to either shadow or do some research or do some clinical work um, at their, you know, respective hospital. And so why don't you talk a little bit about that experience? And so how it was getting that neuroscience lab, whether it's a credit, whether it's a position, whatever the case may be for you, um, and kind of a daily, you know, walk us through a daily day in your life um, <laughs> as a kind of undergrad research assistant. Yeah, um, so the med school campus is about three miles away from the Homewood campus. So I take a bus called the Jimmy Shuttle um, that's free for students and faculty to uh, go transport between different campuses. Um, I got the opportunity basically by emailing some professors being like, hey, this this work sounds really interesting. Can I join? And so I've worked in two labs during my time at Hopkins. I've worked in a spatial memory lab, uh, which involves hippocampus um, in the summertime, which is virtual. And then currently I work with the Lara lab um, at the Hopkins School of Medicine, and that's in the, um, it's in the hearing science field. So uh, my current research right now focuses on auditory neuroscience and right now we're, well, I'm training to run noise exposure tests to see how um, mice can respond after having a really loud noise blasted in their ear. So like, imagine like you're going to a concert and you know, they always tell you to wear earplugs or, you know, try to stay not so close to like the huge rock band um, because it's so loud and you could lose your hearing. So we're trying to see if um, mice across different ages, how does that noise exposure um, affect their level of hearing loss? Yeah, that's and, awesome. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I go in about two days a week. Um, I work with mice, um, but, you know, you can work with pretty much whatever subject you want. Um, and it's super, it's super fun to be in the lab. So I'm really lucky to be in the lab at the School of Medicine and it's really accessible for Hopkins students to get in. It's very common for uh, students to get involved in their first year of undergrad. And we have a great program here for that. That's awesome. Yeah, I know that those opportunities aren't available to students in all schools, so it's really great to hear that Hopkins does have that seamless transition between the undergraduate campus and the medical school um, and kind of dibble dabbling in, in there with opportunities. So that's really, really great. And I wanted to ask you, you know, or I know, but everyone else doesn't know, um, why exactly it is that you're doing research on MICE's auditory system? And so kind of talk about your relation to that and and you can bring up, you know, uh, your your advocacy for, for disabilities and whatnot. So talk about your relationship to that and, and what that research means to you and 
and what that you know as much as i don't like to call it a disability that's what it's labeled so let's just you know keep running with that but how the the disability kind of shapes you and and has made you who you are today well you know disability isn't a bad word it's not like a swear word or something like that and i don't really have much against swear words either but you know disability is just a fact um i am a hard of hearing young adult um i have uh i have a shoot um, about 90% of the hearing in my left ear is gone and I was born that way um, because I have oval window atresia, which basically means a bone in the middle ear is missing. So, you know, the sound never quite makes it through um, from the eardrum all the way up to the auditory nerve and um, up to the brain. And so I really wanted to go into this research because I really want to reduce hearing loss inequities um, from a scientific perspective. So understanding the science and the neuroscience behind it. And it really, like when you research something that's so central to you, it really resonates with you and really pushes you to keep going. And, you know, some of my work now is in disability advocacy. So I work with organizations like the Johns Hopkins Admissions Team, um, organizations back in my home state with James Madison University and the North Virginia Resource Center for the Deaf and Hard of Hearing um, to ensure that people have access to accommodations, whether it be assistive technology, such as captioned phones or ASL interpreters to truly make living with a disability more as a sign of pride than a burden. And it's really great to be both of these roles because, you know, we can have scientists um, that can do all the work in the world, but, you know, we need advocates and we need public health people to put these technologies and these resources in use. And so it's so important to have that. And, you know, I try to tread the line between both and it's sometimes hard to balance, but you know, I'm really trying. Yeah, I mean, beautifully said, really. I think it's really important beyond the breakthroughs and beyond the, the transformations that happen, you know, in a lab and within scientists that, that also be, you know, expressed in a form of advocacy. And, you know, if I'm making these ear implants or right, I'm, I'm, I'm helping, you know, the, the heart of hearing with a tool or whatever, how can I also kind of merge that with advocacy, right? How can we both provide this tool for, for those who need it, but in that same respect, um, provide advocacy for them? Because I think that's extremely important. And how has Hopkins, or maybe, yeah, how has Hopkins, um, have they welcomed you with open hands, uh, open arms? Have they, you know, what resources do they provide for students just maybe as a whole? Um, is there like a disability uh, resource center where you can go to um, and, yeah, things of the like. Yeah, I didn't really consider this when I was coming to Hopkins. Hopkins was my first choice um, applying to college, and I luck luckily got in um, because the opportunity to do research with the School of Medicine. I mean, Hopkins is one of the only one of only two schools in like the nation to have like a center just for hearing science. Um, the other one being University of Michigan. Um, but besides that, like, I never really considered the faculty mentorship and like the student aspect here. So here at Hopkins, we have a lot of awareness of disabilities because we have um, two major disabled faculty members, Dr. Bonlin Sweener and Dr. Talak Rafnanadar, who uh, work at the graduate school campus. So Dr. Sweener is in the Bloomberg School of Public Health and the School of Medicine, and Dr. Talak Rafnanadar is actually here at the undergraduate campus. Um, but, you know, I never really had like someone that I could look up to who's disabled in STEM and say like, hey, I can do that too. But coming here, it's really great to have that support system. And as far as like accommodations go, we have student disability services, which provides all the accommodations, get classes moved around, um, gives me closed captioning on calls, um, gives me a clear face mask when I can't read what people's lips 
are saying during like a in-person class um, and they've been very accommodating and then we also have disability awareness groups both at the graduate campuses um, and at the undergrad campus I'll talk briefly about the one at the undergrad campus it's called Advocates for Disability Awareness ADA kind of like the ADA Act but um, it's they've been really a great community because I never really talked about my disability until I got to Hopkins um, but coming here it feels really open and really like inclusive that I could be like a disability advocate and that I could be comfortable in my identity as you know as a disabled person it's not the issue of disabled and having these medical issues yes having disability is hard but what's the hardest part about you know having disability is the kind of ableism that's associated with it um, there is a lot of like language technicalities like person first versus identity first but also just the issue of people being unintentionally or really un or really intentionally mean towards those disabilities and you know they see us as just our disability and that kind of sucks um, and, you know there's things that you might not think of um, regarding that might be hurtful microaggressions that kind of thing or just like lack of accommodations um, in my opinion disability is diversity so you know I talk about that a lot nowadays but it's it's super cool to have this community at Hopkins that really gets it and really can has belief that there is a role for disabled students in STEM or whatever the field they choose yeah I mean it's it's incredible to feel empowered by your community and I think you know, something that you alluded to, it's, you, you say, you know, I never thought that someone like me would be, you know, a professor or would be a scientist. And I think that, you know, seeing someone that's like you, whether that be your skin or whether that be, a you know, resemble a disability or whatever the case may be, I think that that's super important because it encourages you and, and it kind of motivates you in a way. I know it does for me, right? When I see like a Hispanic professor, I think that's more common here in, in Miami where I live because predominantly it's, it's you know, made up of Hispanic um, people who reside here in Miami, but, you know, seeing Hispanic women in STEM is very empowering to me and it makes me, you know, feel a bit more confident that that's definitely something that I can do. And, you know, regardless of all the bumps uh, in the road, you know, there, there's always um, a way that I can get there. And so it's really great that, you know, Hopkins um, has offered you that where you can feel empowered as well through your professors and through, you know, the opportunities that they offer and, and give you kind of a sense of, okay, I can do that too, right? I'm capable of doing that as well. That's awesome. And so let's kind of move, well, before I move on to the fun stuff, right? Like figure skating. And I'm actually interested to learn about that because I used to figure skate for 13 years. So we're going to get into that. Oh, we didn't talk about that. <laughs> yeah, we didn't. No, no behind the scenes were spoken about figure skating, but we'll get to that eventually. Uh, but before we do, I kind of want you to maybe even plug the, um, the TEDx talks or the talks that you've had on um, your advocacy for, for disability and kind of so you mentioned that you started doing more of that now. What made you feel, you know, what, yeah, what made you feel empowered to start doing that now? Why didn't you start doing that back maybe in high school or over the summer? You know, what what has made you uh, able to start using your voice and, and really making a change for the better? So what really spurred me to go into disability advocacy um, is the, really the pandemic. Um, before, I didn't really think I had a story to tell because, you know, I'm not completely deaf or I don't have the worst of hearing. So I didn't really think I had a story to tell. But with the pandemic, we were seeing a lot of accommodations not met. People were moving over to a virtual world, but, you know, it was either more accessible or a lot less unaccessible, not a lot less accessible to those with disabilities. And, you know, like social media, like I wasn't really involved in social media before the pandemic, but you know, I was able to have the opportunity to share my story with like international youth nonprofits on the TEDx stage. Like the TEDx event was actually in uh, California, Southern California. So it was 
one, the opportunity was just there. And two, it felt like the need was really, really there because, you know, we, COVID changed everything. So we want to make the world more accessible because, you know, a whole year is a very long time to go without access to things. Whatever we see that, and like, as far as like vaccine rollouts, um, just basically being able to sign up for the vaccine is so confusing already, but when you don't have accommodations to like read alt text or be able to actually access the website, that makes it really difficult. And so yeah, the COVID re pandemic really pushed me into that and the access to share my story. Like normally in the past, you would have to go like go to like travel around and kind of share your story and go to speaking events. But now I can do it from home. I can do it on social media and I could really reach a much larger crowd than I had in the past. So like coming on podcasts like these and sharing my story, I think why I share my story, um, my parents asked me when I originally thought about doing this is like, you know, I hope my story hopefully inspires someone someday. I mean, living with hearing loss is a challenge, um, not just like the societal like burdens on you, but you know, trying to fit in when you have a hearing loss and trying to learn how to say stuff and how to what stuff actually sounds like is hard and i hope you know that someday like i mentioned like there weren't many mentors for me um in the field of stem as far as like hearing loss or disabled and so you know i hopefully want to inspire some little girl who's like maybe maybe not right now but listening to some podcasts or listening to some talk i've given and show them like that if i can make it hopefully they can make it too that there is not only a role for disabled, for deaf and hard of hearing scientists, that there's a need for them. And I think that's so important. So, you know, I share my story and it's been really empowering to see people's, like their minds start like thinking a little bit more about disability and it's really great. So ultimately I just hope to make disability more of a pride than a burden and really encourage disability inclusion and accessibility in society. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just from having this conversation with you, the little life transcripts that we have now on Zoom. Like, I never even thought, I know that that was an, you know, that's an option available there when the new Zoom updates came out. You know, I read through them and what they were, but I never thought to just turn them on, you know, especially because me being a tutor uh, and tutoring virtually, I don't know, you know, who's on the other side of the screen and maybe what they're going through and if they have a disability that I can't physically see. And so not having that was, you know, in a way maybe ignorant of me. Like, why can't I just turn it on and kind of leave it running? And if they need it, then they can use it. And if they don't, well, then they have an extra way to kind of, you know, read at what I'm saying if I talk too fast or they can't hear me and the connection cuts off. And so definitely having these, you know, conversations as like insignificant as they may seem like, or, you know, oh, a podcast, like how much will a podcast impact? But, you know, I think you've learned, um, that through this you know pandemic we've been able to amplify our voices like tenfold it's it's been really incredible and i you know i talk about that here at the, in the podcast a lot because this podcast would not be a thing if it wasn't for being able to meet virtually i mean i used zoom once before this whole pandemic because i was meeting with like other schools on this project and so there was no other way for us to meet um except for zoom but i know that people had no idea what zoom was till you know the pandemic back in march in 2020 and so it's been a long year of kind of trying to amplify our voices, refine ourselves and and work, you know, towards making the society a bit better than it was a year ago. And so I think that, you know, these conversations are definitely important and more accessible, right? Because I can chat with you now. I wouldn't be able to chat with you if you're all the way in Baltimore and I was all the way over here. That'd be a little a little more impossible. And I think the idea of this podcast wouldn't even be, you know, 
it wouldn't have been an idea that came to life if it wasn't for um, the ease that the pandemic brought about and all this virtual thing. But again, the same thing that you say, that that ease can also be a burden for some people because there's a lot of um, kind of factors that impede certain people with disabilities from being able to, you know, take advantage of these online platforms that we're now heavily using. And so, yeah, that's really incredibly said. And I think that, you know, you impacted me for sure. So I know that anyone else listening will be impacted. Um, and yeah, maybe if it's just, you know, turning on those live transcripts, I'm sure that that'll make a difference for someone that I talk to on Zoom eventually. And so that's maybe one thing that I can do. And after this, I'm going to look for other, you know, ways in which I can help the, the community. But it's just those little things that really do make an impact and, and really come from you sharing your story. So definitely wanted to highlight that for you. Yeah, I guess like we could probably talk about ways to like make things more accessible. Um, like in my opinion, like, you know, accessibility doesn't just help people with disabilities. Like I'm sure you can, you could probably lose count of the times you've turned on closed captioning on YouTube videos to watch them at two times speed. Like For sure. accessibility makes the world a lot easier. So having that is so important. I guess some other ways you can make things accessible would be closed captioning, um, including alt text on like Instagram posts so that people with um, visual impairments can see it, can like read a description, figure out what's going on. Um, you know, using pronouns is so important. Oh, that's not really disability though, but you know, you get my point there. Um, having transcripts of podcasts like we've talked about is so important because, you know, or else it's just sound and that doesn't work out for everyone. Yeah. And, you know, taking the time to listen to everyone's story and not assuming anything right away. I have had that issue in the past, like not only people assuming things about me, but me, me assuming things about people. And, you know, that's not, that's not the best thing to do, not the right thing to do at all. So, you know, really just taking the time to listen and give someone that common courtesy. For sure, for sure. Listening is is extremely important. Yeah, giving people the, the time of the day to listen. And, and again, from listening, you can gain so much, right? Whether you gain a little thing or two or you completely change your perspective, I think, you know, listening is, is really powerful uh, in itself. So definitely. Uh, so yeah, now why don't we talk about your your fun extracurriculars, right? I know research is fun and whatever, but the actual fun extracurriculars that you do either through uh, Hopkins or outside of Hopkins. Again, I'm very curious to know. About you know, I don't actually figure skate, right? I just watch figure skating. Oh, I thought you figure skated. I was about no, to have this whole no. about what you used. To no, I have I have a little sister at speed skate, but she figure skated for a little bit, and I have an older sister that figure skated for a long time. Nice. Um, but I just watch figure skating. I know a lot about watching figure skating. Well, that's nice. There you go. I mean, we can still connect um, offline outside of this podcast through you watching figure skating and me actually figure skating. I'm sure that there's a lot of connections there. Uh, so that that's fun. I thought you actually figure skated, but no, I did not. It's, it's just I played tennis. Yeah. <laughs> so why don't we talk about your tennis? So why don't we talk about kind of the extracurriculars that you maybe did? You know, now you're not home. Now you're on campus. Um, but maybe the extracurriculars that you do on campus and maybe the ones that you do outside of campus, maybe with friends or when you come back home for the, you know, the summer break or the winter break or whatever. Yeah, um, I'm usually stacked with school, so I, I don't really have a lot of time. Um, some of the extracurriculars I do, I'm a tour guide technically, we're not giving any in-person tours right now, but uh, one of my favorite parts of this past like month and a half is that we have a lot of admitted or prospective students coming to visit Hopkins. So I go up to them, ask them if they have any questions and you know, show them around a little bit. And it's been really sweet because I have so much pride for my school. Um, Hopkins is not the school for everyone, I would tell you that much, but 
it's certainly a school if you're the right kind of person and can take advantage of the opportunities that there are here it's a great school um don't come to hopkins if you don't want to deal if you don't if you want a sports team we don't have that here unless you like lacrosse um so yeah uh, i do that um i'm an alpha phi omega brother i'm getting initiated this uh sunday i think so should be fun so alpha phi omega is a co-ed service fraternity so i did a lot of service in high school um and just coming here like i just wanted like a community of people who were like like wanted to do service and also wanted to kind of make friends. So I have a big, I have a little sib as well. And you know, it's really great because these people really care about service and serving the Baltimore community. I think Hopkins and Baltimore has a very fraught relationship that I don't have time to go into today. But um, you know, it's really nice that there are student groups um, like Alpha Phi Omega who are contributing so much to the Baltimore community even during a pandemic. So, you know, I've been able to help um, youth centers. I've been able to help uh, like the Club 1111, which is like the League with Disabilities um, kind of like club. So it's super cool to not only be a part of Hopkins, but also part of the Baltimore community. And then anything else I work on. Uh, I do my disability advocacy, which I told you about. And I work on this project called the Common Question Project, which is basically it's like an interdisciplinary humanities and science project so the common question is this is like a faculty kind of driven but like I asked if I could join they're like sure because you know they like to have student input because it's meant for students but the, the question the common question is just like a big question that you think is really easy to answer but it's actually really not easy to answer so the question um for this past year what is what is the common good and you know, you think about that and it's like, hmm, what even is common and what even is good? Because we often have things that seem to move society forward and be like, yeah, this is really good, but you know, it often leaves out people. And like, what is a common good on a macro and a micro perspective? So it gets really cool. So what I help the faculty members on that, I help them look for sources that really inspire students and really relate to students. Like they actually wanna read that. And we try to look for connections between the sciences, the social sciences and the humanities and like different forms of media. So we pick out movies, we pick out poems, we pick out articles. And it's super cool to have that kind of interdisciplinary, um, interdisciplinary approach to research and also just exploring as well. I mean, school, like any school is so focused on grades, but it's really nice to have just that exploratory process of learning yeah, I'm considering picking up a history of science, medicine, technology major um, as a double major. But, you know, if I don't, this project is my way of kind of exploring that for right now. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds really fun. And whether you double major or minor, you know, I feel like there's a lot of in college just in general, there's a lot of opportunities for you to kind of explore uh, other disciplines that don't fall directly within your major. So, for example, I'm a biochem major and you know, I would have the ability to explore a, a macroeconomics course. And because that's just, you know, the, the way that the university is is um, kind of laid out so that you can leave with a kind of holistic and with a kind of well-rounded um, understanding of a little bit of everything, which I think is, is really important and something that I personally am very fond of and, and look for um, in an education. And that's definitely why I applied to Hopkins as a transfer, because I think that they do offer um, the ability to kind of marry different disciplines and, and find connections between dis different disciplines. And I think that that really um, is, is very important. So yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad that you want to pick up a double major. Um, and so I think my last question, because uh, you mentioned this a little bit earlier that Hopkins isn't for everyone. Why don't you kind of talk about who Hopkins might be for, right? Based on the experiences that you've had so far and the people that you've connected with and the friendships that you've made, what, you know, 
who is Hopkins perfect for, right? What student is perfect for Hopkins and, and what can the student give to Hopkins that Hopkins can give to the student? I think the number one student I've met here at Hopkins is a person that's really grounded in their studies and really passionate about whatever cause they're working towards. Yeah. So like we do have like a fraternity sorority scene here, you can get involved with that. But ultimately a lot of students are really focused on being the best student that they can be, uh, working on their research, getting involved in the community. And you know, the mentality here is a little bit like work hard and somewhat see the rewards of it. Um, and so, you know, if you're a student, the best student here would be a person who's ready to take advantage of the research opportunities that they have here, the faculty support that they have here. I mean, I've been able to take small classes and discussion sections with professors and you look them up and it's like, shoot, they were published in New York Times. It's like, shoot, I'm talking to them. I'm emailing them, this is crazy. Um, so yeah, and, uh, and Hopkins is not for a student who wants to specialize in something. Um, Hopkins does not have a core curriculum like Columbia. I'm not sure what our universities have. Columbia is the first one I'm thinking of. Um, and you know, you're really forced to step out of your comfort zone and try to um, take courses or do research in other areas as well, because they really want to see that well-rounded approach. And so, yeah, I've been able, like, even though I'm a neuroscience major, I've been able to take classes in history, I've been able to take classes in social policy, in philosophy, in poetry, um, all within my first two semesters here. And it's been a really amazing experience. So you have to be a student who's willing to explore what's out there and also a student who's really grounded in their research and their studies. That's awesome. So everyone listening, I hope that that resonates with you um, if you're planning on applying to Hopkins. But yeah, it's that that interdisciplinary approach is definitely something that's really, um, really fun, I would say, just for lack of a better word. But uh, yeah, Sandy, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I will definitely have all of Sandy's social media, her talks, her platforms, her other uh, podcast um, appearances so that you guys can continue to be inspired <laughs> by by her and her advocacy and her work and so I'll definitely leave all of that in the description of the episode as always but Sandy again thank you so much for coming on uh, I know I gained a lot from this and I hope you enjoyed coming on to the podcast thank you so much for having me Natalia yeah bye <laughs>